this week, I hope, um, because I don't have the I don't have the um, a shear uh, that's fully thought out, uh, fully worked out, uh, and I'm a little out of shape at at um, Tanakh. So uh, at Tanakh, Tanakh especially. So by all you know, by all means, pitch in. I hope and um, and tell me when things make sense, what what you think things mean, things like that. Uh, I'm going to share a screen. The um, the topic for this week is the Haftorah, um, and the connection between the Haftorah and the Parsha is pretty straightforward at, at the outset, right? Because uh, the Haftorah begins the beginning of, of Perik Bet at, of Hoshea, and that begins So the number of Bnei Yisrael will be like the sand of the sea, uh, which cannot be measured or uh, or counted. Uh, so there is a paradox that some Rishonim notes that you know, if, if you have an, if it is a number, why can't it be measured or counted? There are uh, easy ways of dealing with it, which is to say that it's it's a uh, a very large number, uh, such that human beings cannot count it, although it is in fact countable. Uh, some people have fun bringing in uh, the question of whether infinite actually exists or not, <laughs> uh, and some people try and come up with other ways of claiming there are stages where it's countable and stages where it's not countable. That is not really our issue this week, although it would be fun. Uh, in general, you know, the biblical number theory would be a lot of fun. Um, it's from the fact that that is the connection to this week's Haftarah, the presumption is that this is a positive verse, and it's easy to imagine why you would think it was a positive verse, because after all, what could be better than having Mispar Bnei Yisrael Kechol Hayam Ashrali Madla Yisafer? And here we could talk about, that's probably right, but we can also talk about uh, perhaps the difference between what we might call canonical meaning and contextual meaning, that there are psukim that mean certain things, certain interpretations of them are adopted in certain kinds of contexts, but it doesn't mean that we think that is the pshat, or the, the meaning of the verse in all contexts, or even though it's the primary meaning, it's the meaning that is useful in this context. So in a, as a liturgical meaning, it's clear that is an absolute positive. Uh, some of you who are of a midrashic mind may already be thinking about, hmm, by Avraham, there are always two metaphors, Chol Hayam and Kochve Hashemayim. Why does why why does this pasuk use Chol Hayam and not Kochve Hashemayim? And usually, when we when people think of that, then they tr- right, then usually Kochve Hashemayim is more positive than Chol Hayam. So maybe there is a certain degree of ambivalence in this verse. So we could we, if we want to put that um, that that uh, seed in your mind at the outset. Um, I'm going to move to an example that that is um, central for me, I guess, in the way I think about. Uh, certain things in Tanakh. Um, I'll start, I guess, by saying that one of my teachers in Tanakh was uh, Professor Yeshayahu Maori, and the way he taught um, supposed limitations of time in a graduate school classroom uh, was, and, and this had a deep influence on me, he would try and find the fulcrum, right, the pasuk that if you, the way you interpreted that would ramify through your interpretation of the whole section uh, of Tanakh, and for me, the fa- my favorite example of that is not an example Professor Maori gave me, but one I found on my own, although I'm sure many have found it before me, is in Haftorah, Zacharti la chesed avat toward the beginning, the very beginning of Yirmiyo. Um So the canonical meaning of it, the reason that it's there in Haftorah beyond question, is uh, I have remembered for your sake, Zacharti la chesed the chesed that um, you did to me when you right, when you were an ara, avakulatayek um, uh, the love you showed for me when you were a kala lechtecha charabamidbar 
right? How did you express that? Or while you followed me in the desert, Be'eres uh, Lozeru'ah in a uh, in an unsown land, um, right? So this is right, and this is sort of the counterpoint to much of Yirmiyah, and it's really important canonically to understand, right? That's the role of Torah plays, is that that's the right that the whole book is organized around um, that no matter what, no matter how much anger is expressed um, by God through Yirmiyah at the Jews in the book. But he will always remember, right? That they, you know, always remember the honeymoon. I'm sure it's also been um, been there, you know, in various kinds of marriage counseling experiences. So, the other interpretation, which should not be in marriage counseling experiences and not canonical, and I think it's probably not shot, but it's an example of how a whole book can change because you interpret one verse. Is uh, the Radak under- understands that verse as me- uh, right, not as I have remembered for your sake. That's not what Zachar Tilach means. It means I have reminded you. I have right, I have caused you to remember, or right, or, or actually not successfully caused you to remind. I have reminded you of the chesed that I did for you when you were when you when you were when you were an hour, and the love I showed to you when you were a kala, uh, when you were wandering after me in a tr- in a in a unsown land, so you could have starved to death, right? So right, and actually, in that way, the whole verse is part of the is part of the tochacha, and I think that um, that when I taught Yirmiyah uh, many many years ago. I think I showed that Radak has a completely different vision of the whole Sefer. It permeates all the way through, um, in that he does not see the desert as a. As, you know, Radak's vision, like the problem, the problems in the marriage started early, as opposed to there's this thing we can always cling to. Uh, so I much prefer the other interpretation, but it's just, and I, again, I don't. I think that's obviously not the canonical meaning, and probably not the contextual meaning either. But it's a way in which a, an entire um, section can change based on how you understand one verse. So I was trying to figure out what my entree into this Haftorah was. Uh, so I think that to understand this Haftorah, you have to see it in the context of at least the first two Prakim of Hosea. Um, and that's, I don't know that you need that much more of it. So you know, I, don't, I don't know much more of it, so we'll have to see that. Um, and I wanted to focus on one particular word, which is the word Yisrael. Okay, Yisrael is not Yisra, is not Yis, is not Yisrael. Although obviously the um, the echoes are there, and so it'd be very hard to use the word without uh, thinking that there's some kind of um, some kind of allusion. And the word Yisrael shows up uh, five times, I believe it is, in the first two uh, in the first two prakim. So we're going to take you through the first two prakim briefly in an outline and show you where the where the where the uh, the where Yisrael uh, shows up, and then we'll go through the. Um, We'll go through some of the, the Rishonim and see the different ways in um, in which they understood uh, they understood this and see if that shapes our vision of the whole. Okay, so Yeshe has a very long and uh, introduction where it, which sets the time of this. Right, it, it, it occurred in Uziel Yotam Achaz Yisrael Malchei Yehuda and Yeravim Ben Yoash Melech Yisrael. So we're dated in uh, in both monarchies, and then sort of an oddity. It says Kilati Ber Hashem Boshea, and then it says Vayomer Hashem Boshea. Let's assume that this is actually the beginning of Hosea, uh, that this is actually the beginning of uh, of God's speech with Hosea, and although, again, at least in the, for the purpose of this book, let's suppose, let's suppose this is the first thing that uh, this is the the fir- this is chronologically the first nubu in the book, maybe a reasonable assumption, um, may, may not be true, but let's take a reasonable assumption. So Hashem says to Hosea to go take an Asha zirunim v'yaldei zirunim, kizanotiz ne'aretz ne'achari Hashem. Right, so Hosea is told to take a wife who either uh, will be wayward or has committed adultery and, al- and um, 
Does it mean children she already has or, or the children she's about to have? Very, very odd instruction. Is this real? Is this a dream? All, right, all questions that don't matter to us right now. Uh, well we can just see the pattern is that he's supposed to take an Asian Zinimim, and that's because the notes use Neha Aretz. So she's described, uh, right, right, the way she writes, the, there's a symbolic description um, in which right, Zinimim presumably refers to some kind of infidelity, and that's because it's stated in the future, although it's not clear why that why it's in the future, that the land will stray from after God or is straying after God. Challenging to figure out what the timeline of this is relative to the dateline in Pasig Aleph. So he goes, and he takes this Gomer Bas Divlayim. Now, we are not told explicitly in the text that Gomer Bas Divlayim is an Asian Zinimim or what that would mean, but uh, it seems like the easiest way of understanding contextually is that the Gomer Bas Divlayim is um, a woman uh, of not irreproachable character, and she gives him a bane who may or may not be a fulfillment of the Ildizinim or another child. And so now God told him what to do, and he did it. Now, Bayomar Shemilav. And God says to him, Kirashemo Yisrael. Call the name of this first child you have from Gomer Basdivlaim. Call him Yisrael. Why? Ki'odma'at, because it's just a little bit ahead. Ufakatiat de me Yisrael al Bejehu. And I will take the blood of, I, I will um, remember uh, the blood of Yisrael al Bejehu. So, to figure out what al means there and also what fakad means. The instinct that most Rishonim will take is that I will take vengeance for, right? I'll, re- I'll remember the blood of Israel, and I will take his vengeance out on Beit Yehu. Um, and therefore, by wiping out uh, Yehu, I will wipe out the kingdom of the kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes. And on that day, um, presumably the day in which he is pokeyed on Beit Yehu, the blood of the blood of Israel. I will break the uh, I will break the Keshet Israel. I'll break the bow of um, of Israel. That presumably is some reference to military strength, although not necessarily, but, presu- but presumably. Be'emek Israel. Right. So now we know that we have three we have three references to Israel. Israel is the name of the child. That's a symbolic thing. What is it symbolic of? Well, there are two things it's symbolic of. One, it's symbolic of the blood of Israel, which has not been identified for us. And two, it's right, is named after a place. Amic writes that God, because right, God, God will destroy the Keshet of Israel in Amic Israel, and we could figure out midah connected midah that God will destroy the Keshet of Israel in Amic Israel because uh, right, it's in some way related to Demei Israel. So the, the most likely candidate for Demei Israel is in Malachim Bet Perikud, where it says Vayach Yehu et Kol Hanisharim Levet Achav Yisrael. So Yehu wipes out all the remaining descendants of the, the prior monarchy, the house of Achav in Israel, and all, right, all, all the, the nobles and of the court, and all his priests, who are presumably Kohanei Habal, or is Achav, right, Beit Achav is famous for its Avodah right? There's nothing, there's nothing left, right? There's a, there is a, a massacre. So it's very easy to say meaning that I will write that I will get uh, that I will take revenge on on um, on the house of Yehu for their wiping out the house of Achav. The problem is that Achav is not a positive character. Achav is sort of an ultra negative character in terms of a Vodazara. Uh, he's one of the characters like um, Satan in Paradise Lost, who in his rebellion against God. Uh, Develops, uh, you know, one can develop a certain uh, sympathy for the devil, 
but that's not you know, but that doesn't show up in uh that doesn't show up in the as a direct part of the onish thing in Tanakh. And moreover, um Yehu is Reich Yehu is anointed for the sole purpose, right? God predicted uh and then um and then um and then afterwards they say God even says Yashakoch to Yehu for wiping out Beit Achav. So on the one hand that's the most likely candidate for Dame Israel. And on the other hand, it seems pretty clear that bad things are going to happen to Beit Yehu. And why should bad things happen to Beit Yehu for the thing they did that was God, uh, God predicted, God endorsed, uh, God approved, God endorsed. So that's a, a, a deep puzzle in terms of the meaning of Israel. Okay, so then, um, right, so then right, they have a, there's another child. This child is called, uh, the daughter is called Lo Ruchama. And why is she called Lo Ruchama? Because God will no longer be Merachem at Beit Yisrael. You always have to be careful whether Beit Yisrael here, um, right? Beit Yisrael here means the ten tribes, because right, uh, um, and then there's complete ambiguity here about what a Beit Judah Arachem below it, right? Okay, but at least Beit Lo Ruchama symbolizes at least the kingdom of Israel, and God will no longer have that relationship, uh, right? The relationship of Rachamim with Beit um, with Beit Yisrael. Um, that could mean I will no longer have mercy, or you know, very likely there's a here is one of the places where Rachamim is a very clear pun on uh, mercy and womb. The Lotif Oder Rachem Beit Yisrael really means I will no longer regard Beit Yisrael as my child. Um, okay, right. That's I think that's part of part of it of uh, this being a daughter. Okay, you can buy that or not buy it. Okay, right. So that that, that life goes on, and there's right there's another there's uh, right there's another son, and this son is supposed to be called Lo Ami. Right, call lo ami because you will no longer be my my ami, and then and I will not be your your what? Presumably, right? Presumably, I will no longer be your god, whatever that means. Um, but although that part of it is not, except by implication, if you are not my nation, then I am not your god. Right, that part of it is not in the main. Okay, so you have three children: Yisrael, lo ruchama, and lo ami. None of this has any element of cheer in it at all, as you can uh, as you can tell. Right, this is. Uh, right, all the all of this is uh, you know, unrelieved, unrelieved um, disaster. All the children are, are uh, so at least uh, seem to be about disaster. Right, one of them ends the Shavar Tzikesh of Israel. One of them is Lo Arachem, and one of them is Lo Ami. And then we move off and we say, oh, and by the way, so there's a really abrupt mood change. Now there is a partial break, so we could say, okay, there's a really abrupt mood change. But what generates that that uh, abrupt mood change? Why is it here? And that abrupt mood change is embodied in, it seems, right? And so your numbers will be enormous. And um, and let's take the simplest meaning in the plate, in plate, which we're gonna the simplest meaning of it in context is probably. Instead of, right, in place of saying to them, lo amiyatem, in place of having it be said to them, lo amiyatem, they will be said, they will be called b'nei uh, elchai. It could also be in the place, right, we have to figure out what that means, and there's a grammatical problem here, because it's, mikom lahem, in place of it being said to them, you are not my nation, right, so it's being said to them in the passive, and you are not my nation, uh, with a direct, uh, right, direct address, Instead, it will be said to them, "Bnei El Chai." So that's no longer direct address, right? It doesn't say it doesn't say "Banai," 
so that's a little bit of, a, of an issue here also. Okay, so we have to it sounds still sounds like it could very you know, this the easiest reading of this, which is again the canonical meaning is this far there will be lots and lots and lots of Bnei Israel, and now they will instead of being called Lo Ami, they will be called Bnei El Chai. And now Yehuda and Yisrael get together. Why Yehuda needs to be gotten together? Because we haven't heard anything about destruction to Yehuda yet. That right is because up here it's sort of ambiguous what happens to Yehuda. It sounds like they're going to be Loroshim b'kesher v'cheref milchamav v'sisim b'loroshim, but it is Arachim. But something happened to Yehuda meanwhile also, so that Bnei Yehuda and Bnei Yisrael get together. V'samulhem roshechad, and they will appoint a single head. V'alum min haaretz. And they will go up from the land. Kigadol Yom Yisrael. Okay, so Be'alumina Aretz is a little bit problematic because we really want it to keep on being positive. And everything looks great, right? There are lots of us. And God is now saying, B'nai, God is now saying, B'nai El Chai, let's suppose. Everybody's getting together. There's Achtus. And we right, and there's Rosh Echad. Be'alumina Aretz. Which Aretz? And if you're going to tell me, uh, right, it means they're going to leave places, other other places, and go to Eretz Yisrael. Hang on a sec, right? It's alu min haaretz, right? Shouldn't there be alu la aretz, right? Isn't right? Isn't it rhetorically the case that Eretz Yisrael is gavol mikol aretzot, so that you always talk about going on aliyah to Eretz Yisrael? So how can we talk about going on aliyah from? Um, right. So, so if they're already if they're already in Israel, this is a bit challenging. And if they're not in Israel, how, right? So what? Ha- how do they get to not being in Israel? They're in Israel now. Uh, right, so you can see obviously there's a there's a movement to uh, th- you know there's an inclination to say you know what we suddenly skipped a long way in the future. You know over here we're still talking about the the present and what's going to happen to the kingdom of right to the kingdom of Israel. And that's what all these and all these children are symbolizing the present. And then all of a sudden we skip you know who knows how many thousands of years in the future, and we have a sudden depiction of the messianic era. Okay. Now here's the interesting thing, though. It says right. So when all this happens, maybe it's kibbutz goliot. Maybe right. It says kigadol yom Yisrael. Now what is yom Yisrael? The only mention we have of Yisrael so far here is Israel. Israel is a place where you take revenge for the blood of Yisrael, and it's also the place where keshet Yisrael is broken. So what on earth does yom Yisrael mean here? So that's a puzzle. Right? That's our fourth use of Yisrael. Um, if we see this entire section as positive, then um, then uh, we have to make this positive, but why would Yom Yisrael be positive? Okay, that's a problem. Okay, we go on, then, then really it's very hard to figure out what comes next. Imru ami, say to your brothers, my nation, and lachoseichem ruchama, and you're, right, so that's obviously an inversion of lo ami and lo ruchama, who says it? And then it switches to rivu bimchem, rivu kihi lo ishti, right, so we move from Great, you know, you can welcome your brother and your sister and call them and take away the negatives from the name, but then you're fighting with your mother. You know, I put in a, a, a line break here, but there's no paragraph break in Tanakh if you have it. Really, really puzzling. And within two psukim, right, we're talking about uh, right, humiliating the mother and benelo arachem. And I'm not going to, right, so we're kibbenezunimhema. So every, right, so the whole point of it was negative again. So we could say, you know what, there was a three or four pasuk. Uh, depending how you interpret this, three or four pasuk break here, where everything was positive, and then we just switch back, and we, there's no context at all. We have to figure out what Yisrael could mean to do that, right? That's a challenge. 
Um, so we, we have the grammatical issue here. We have Kol Hayam as opposed to Kol Shemayim, so it's not 100% clear. If we want to do that, right, and that's what we want to do, I think, clearly in the Haftarah, uh, then we have to figure out what Yom, how we, what Yom Yisrael could mean. That means something very different than the day of Kriyat Damim and the day of um, and the day of Shvirat Keshet for Yisrael. Okay, well, we we go on with uh, well, we go on with a whole bunch of really not happy stuff, but really, uh, really, really happy stuff. But then at the end, over here, um, right, this is all right. We're talking about um, right, talking about how there's going to be famine and everything because Bnei Yisrael are are the are the unfaithful wife. Um, we have something like Yirmiyo, right? I mean, right. So there's a seduction. I will take her out to the desert, and I will speak to her heart, and um, and then great things happen again, right? So this section over here, the end of the, right. We have another positive section introduced, and right. We have right great shear here, right? Hashem. Fine, right. So there's another positive interjection. So okay, so we, maybe we just have mood shifts. And then we have Ayabayamahu, whatever that day is, right? But it seems like a really good day, right? So the end of the previous section is right the Vairasifli Olam, Vairasifli Tadakimishpat, Vikhes Rahamim, Vairasifli Bemunavi Adas Es Hashem, right? So at the end God is remarrying us. Um or marrying us for the first time. Everybody understands it. The context it seems like remarrying. Leaving aside the halachic questions of whether remarrying a wife uh right who's committed adultery, which you know all the Navi have to deal with, um, whether you take the halachic metaphor quite so seriously. Or how you deal with it, or right, does God violate halacha? However, however you want to understand it. Then we get right on that day, whatever that day is. Right, the second consecutive Ayabayamahu. So if it's the same Yomahu, that's a really good day, and maybe that's the same d- good day as Yom Yisrael. Hashem So not clear what Enen means here. Vahem Okay, let's suppose that Shemayim uh, is Vahem. Still, don't, we don't know. Right, there's some kind of response between God, heaven, and earth. Let's suppose that this really means that, well, right, the most likely thing here is that the land will respond by giving forth its grain. Okay, right, so God in some way cues the heavens, and the heavens in some way cue the earth, and the earth cues the grain and the, and the, and the grapes and, and, the, and the oil and the olives. What does that mean? Last we know, Israel is not really a kind of food. So I don't know. Right? We have a, a progression: God, heaven, earth, grain. It's not like we're going all the way down. Uh, well, then we should go down to the earth, and we start laying up. Now we've got the grains there. What is Israel? No idea what Israel is. Okay, Uzratkiha li baaretz, and I will, uh, I will plant. Um, seems like her. Right, it's a bit of a challenge with the right, no feminine, uh, no feminine um, descriptions previously. So that's a bit of a challenge. Okay, I will write so this, and it sounds like Uzratiha is a pun on Yisrael, right? Because Yisrael could mean, or Yisrael, right? Yisrael here, but it sounds like it means that this is what God will sow, and now God will sow them. Now we're back to the cheerful, right? Cheerful thing, right? We, we, the now has So here, it seems pretty clear that whatever Yisrael is, is a very positive thing, Uzratiha Libaretz. Okay, so in the end of the day, we have here five uses of Yisrael. Okay, we'll go through them. The first one, Shirashima Yisrael, uh, it's connected to, it's a symbolic name that plainly is connected to two negative things. The revenge of the blood of Yisrael 
and the destruction of the, of the might of Israel, the bow of Israel in Amek Israel. Then there's an ambivalent one, the Gadol Yom Israel. It's probably positive, but not obvious what not obvious why it is. And at the end, there are two that are very hard not to take positively, right? This is talking about the the revival of the land. Um, uh, sorry, the, right, the one here, right? The, um, only one, right? But it's clear here that it's the revival of the land, so it has to be positive. So one symbolic, two obviously negative, one obviously positive, and one ambivalent, uh, ambivalent or ambiguous. Okay, that's and that and in in the entire in the section we have switches back and forth with are you low ruchama are you ruchama very hard to know uh, we have, nobody has named their child low ruchama in a long time though uh, although of course there are um, there are there are uh, children named ruchama I imagine you have to say no to them sometimes because that could be problematic um, but they okay, understand what the problems are okay so let's take a look at um, the way the targum whatever whichever targum it is. Uh, I have not looked up what the official position is right now on how old the Targum Yonatan is or by whom. Let's just take it as the classical Jewish attempt at translation. How do you translate the word Yisrael in these five places in this Targum? So here we go. V'amar Hashem so God said to him, Hirashem hun mivadraya. Call the first child's name, scatter. Okay, so instead of taking... Yilin Yisrael is an untranslatable thing. It means um, really lizarot, right, which is to scatter, as opposed to lizroa, which is to sow. Why? Arei od tivchar here because in just a little bit. Ardam tavasa dashad yehu All right, and I, I will, but I will come and revenge the the blood that Yehu spilled in Israel. What? The Katlinan al deflacho levala. Because he right, he killed Achab about uh, for right for serving the Baal. And I said, what's negative about that? Right, right. But he Yehu and his descendants they returned Shavu right they returned Shavuinun they returned Limitai to stray after the Egel in Beit El right so they worshipped their own Egel as Ahav the Egel as Ahav originally created put up by by Yeravim Ben Nevat to create a separate. Um, Cultic place in the uh, right separate you know, competitor to Beit Hamikdash in the Malchut Yisrael. Um, therefore, Bechain, because because the descendants of Yehu committed their own acts of Vodazara just like the just like the descendants of Achav, Achshavine Dam Zakai Al Beit Yehu. Therefore, I consider the destruct the I consider the wiping out of the house of Achav as if the house of Yehu had killed innocents because. What right did the house of Yehud to kill the house of Achav if they were going to be just as bad afterwards? Right, so that's how the Targum solves the problem. How can, how can the blood of Israel be something that deserves revenge if, even if they were told to do it? The answer is that Yehud wiping out Achav, you were told to do it, but it's conditional. Right? That's a really powerful theological notion, right? that you can be told to do it, and yet if you don't act properly afterwards, the meaning of your action is converted from righteous zealotry to murder. That's a really powerful. Uh, that's a really powerful idea, I think. Um, okay, and then Yisra said here, right, the third time they say, what does it mean? So the race, the power of those who make war for Israel will be destroyed, will be uh, broken. So the Targum kind of. Um, it turns Israel into a place, 
So I think that the answer is, well, we already explained why the blood of Achav deserves revenge, and then it makes sense, midah keneged midah, that the blood of Achav will be revenged in the place where uh, it's in the place where it was spilled. Okay, so we got three, right? So so far, uh, Yisrael means scattered, and Yisrael means uh, right means the place where the place referring to the incident of the massacre of Achav's descendants, and Yisrael means that very same place where the Jews will be broken, and presumably the right, that's why. So the question is, so why would we call the child Yisrael? So the answer is we call the child Israel because really because the Jews will be scattered. In right, that is God's revenge for uh for Israel is that the Jews become Mivadrayim. Okay. Um and then so what happens at the end? So the Jew right, so now the Jews turn into sand, right, sand of the you know, sand of the seashore that can't be counted. And um Vehibis Asra is Gileu bin Amamaya. So when the Jews are Exiled among the nations, karavru alaraisa, right? Because they dis- they violated the Torah. Itamar lahon lo amiaton. So then the non-Jews among whom the the Jews are exiled will say, right? Will say, right? So, so actually, we first place, right? We said binkom. Vehi biatra. So in the place, right? It doesn't say in place of, right? It's not a it's not a substitution. It's in the very place where 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 the Jews were exiled amongst the nations. Because they violated the Torah, and where the non-Jews said to them, "Ha," uh, or where God said to them, right? God said to them, "You are not my nation." Yituvun v'chizrabun, right? They will return and they will multiply. V'tomarlan, and they will be told, "Amei del hakayama," right? So, if the place where God told them that you are not my nation, they will now be told by the people where God exiled them, "No, you are God's nation." And so they'll all get together. And they're going to appoint one head, meaning a Davidic monarch. So Beit Yisrael will uh, will be right, will rejoin with with Beit Yehuda. And they will go up from the land, right, so from the land of their galut. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so that was a really interesting claim, right? Because we just said up here that Israel was scattered, and here Yisrael means gathered. That's a little bit of a challenge, right? Because we understand, right? So we we found a uh, we found a um, an etymology that we get, uh, you know, because Lazarot is to scatter. So Yisrael, right? Oh, it has an ayin, but the ayin, right? We can ignore the ayin and say it's the place where God scatters them. But how do we get Yom Kinishton to mean uh, to mean the um, the day of their gathering. Uh, how do you get Yom Yisrael to mean gathering? That's a little bit of a puzzle to me. Um, okay, so the, the land, the land will 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 um, will will respond to it uh, right with uh, with wine and oil, and the inner yisfakon legalot ami, and so it looks like what are we translating is the inner yisfakon legalot ami. Going back to the pasuk. Um, have here, um, right? So Israel. Okay, so now, so Israel. The last time that the Targum tells us is, um, so Israel means gathering, exile, and right scattered. Israel means scattered, gathering, and exiled. So 
So you can see what the targum's trying to do is it's trying to read the psukim the way that seems most likely that you know that there are, that there are these places where it becomes a where it becomes a positive, and so up here, um, right Israel right when they leave, so Israel right Yom Israel is a positive, and therefore here when we feed Israel that must be a positive also. But in order to do that, it has to get the word Israel to mean Knishton here and to mean Galut Ami here, right? So we can say what it really means is the exiles who are gathered. Um, still a challenge. And now the next thing in the Pasuk is, right? Remember we had said the uh, Israel, Halu, and I will plant her. So there's a pun on Yisrael and Yisra to sow. And this is completely missing in the Targum. And I will establish you in the land of my Shkina. So that's how the Targum tried to do it. It has uh, four separate translations for right, for Yisrael. It chooses to translate the name the first time. It chooses to, right, it doesn't translate it, in, it, translate, it just gives it as a place the next two times. Um, then it translates as gathered, then it translates it as exiles. Um, it all makes sense in context, but you lose what seems to be the literary, you know, the literary theme. You lose the pun of, of Zara here. Uh, all in all, I don't know. I don't know how successful uh, an effort this is. Okay, Rashi gives you um, a number of. Uh, Rashi largely quotes the Targum for the first several examples. Um, then he tries to. Rashi is bothered by the sudden transition to Vayamisbar. So here are Rashi's several explanations for why we have the sudden shift at Perik, beginning of Perik Bet, where we have our Torah. Mainyan Parnut What's going on here to have, right, I assume one sentence, right, destruction and, um, and consolation. So he says, Chazal explains in Psachim, uh, and he's giving you the end of a long, of a long discussion. That Hoshea recognized himself that he had sinned. How had he sinned? So Chazal say that at some point, I mean, it's not clear, but because they, they put this, at least initially, they put this before the first Tchilat Deber Hashem Hoshea, right? So that's the, that's why it's challenging because uh, because Chazal have Hoshea having a conversation with God before that ever happens, and God's telling Hoshea, "Go take an Asian Zinunim." At least the beginning of that sugya means that God is saying this in response to something Hoshea has previously said to him, and the thing that he has previously said to him, or the thing that he says to him in in, in the flow of it, when he has to go, and I haven't done it in enough depth to see whether there's a transition or whether there's an ex- right, or whether Somehow there's there's a more complicated time scheme, but at some point Hoshea says to God, "You know what? You should just switch the Jews out for somebody else." And God says to him, "No, I don't want to do that." And in a sense, God tells Hoshea to marry Gomer Bas Yivlaim, so that eventually, uh, eventually Hoshea will understand how difficult it can be to send right to switch. Uh, to switch relationship in which you've already invested, uh, even if in fact objectively your partner is not uh, is not really living up to their side of the bargain. Okay, right. That's one way of reading the Chazal. So right. So Hoshea, so Hoshea, right. So probably the way to read it, although again it's challenging, in that at the end of the sugya that seems to be right, um, that God tells Hoshea that that the first the first parak is uh, essentially Hoshea telling God you can switch them. And then we have this shift at the end when, when Hoshea realizes he was wrong and prays to God. 
for, for Rachim, and that's when he says, Vayam Mispar B'nai Yisrael, but it's really hard to make the first parak be Hoshea's expression as opposed to God telling him. We can make, right, so it's a, it's really, really hard to fit this into, that I can tell, Kipshat, although maybe somebody else could do it afterwards. Okay, second Pshat, it says, V'sifr de Rav, Parsha V'yesh Yisrael B'Shoftim, Shaminu, Rebbe Omer, Yesh Parshiot Smuchot Zulazu, there are Parshiot that are literarily juxtaposed, but in terms of theme, they're as far apart as you can imagine. East and west. Here's an example. Ki right? That's the end of Paragalav. You are not my nation. And the next, very next phrase. Wow, that's a silly Right? How, what are these connected? So he gives a wild metaphor, uh, which you know, quite which it's another marriage metaphor, and yet it doesn't seem to relate to the story of Gomer Bat Yivlayim at all. Um, the king who gets mad at his wife, and so he calls not he calls the he calls the scribe to write her a divorce. But before the sofer shows up, the king changes his mind. Why the king changes his mind is not part of the metaphor. He changes his mind because he was wrong. He changed his mind because he, right because he was right, but he can't do it. Not at all. Change his mind because his wife did something. Don't no 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 knowledge. Amar Melech the king says something really odd. Efshar yitzay sofer sofer zem mikan chalutz. Well, the sofer here leaves smoothly with no impression. So what does that mean? Like why shouldn't the sofer leave with no impression? So we could interpret it this way. Look, I I bothered him to do something, and I took his time, so I should give him a job. So we can right. Uh, but the the uh, Gemara the is taken a little bit more uh, substantively the way Rashi understands it. But the problem is not that we took ad- we're taking advantage of the sofer, and we could just give them the money, but people feel uncomfortable when they take the, right, if they take money for work they didn't actually do. But it's also right this is going to embarrass the king and his wife because there'll be tabloid reports you know because everyone's going to know the sofer was called and the sofer didn't write anything. So everyone's going to speculate. Aha! It must have been that the king was planning to divorce his wife, and now he's not. So instead, he says, "Amarlo, tovla shani ktubata." So he says, "You know, I called you here so that you could double her. You could double her ktuba, right? So that the uh, right, so tabloid stories will read the exact opposite." I'm assuming the sofer doesn't know why he was called originally, because that sounds like the okay. So that's what Rashi, right? So that's what is going on here. Is that the emotional shift is in God, that God, right, the first parak, right, so one way of reading is that the first, right, is that Hosea is the one who originally calls for God to divorce B'nai Israel, and then Hosea realizes he sinned, and so Vayami Spar B'nai Israel is Hosea's recognition of his sin. That's the position in Sachin. The Sifri says, no, no, Hosea is not expressing his own emotions, and what we're following is not the change in emotions of Hosea, we're following the change in emotions could be a whole of God. And the first Tarek, right, God first tells Hosea, go write a bill of divorce for B'nai Israel. And then he changes his mind. And he tells Hosea, no, 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 actually, you know what? Right, write a ktuba instead. So that's a very beautiful metaphor. Uh, you know, that's why Hosea, that's why Hosea suddenly shifts. There's a gap in that Hosea, it's hard to view Hosea as a scribe who doesn't know why he was called. Because Hosea said these words, so that's a very odd, you know, and they're obviously negative. So it's also, it's a fascinating um, depiction of the way you have God's emotions with no justification for the change, other than emotion, but as a way of mapping it onto the psukim, 
it seems to me that there's a there's a flaw, which is that Hosea is uh, Hosea is too knowledgeable. Uh, he knows enough to know that he's writing. You could imagine that you know maybe Hosea has transcripts. He doesn't write, but it's a it's a challenging thing. Okay, so then Rashi says, "Osi pshuto kachis michotov." I don't think that either Psachim or the Sifri is actually pshat of what's going on here. But I think the pshat is at the end of Perak Aleph is I will pretend, I will create, create the imp- the image that that I am not yours. And you'll go be exiled. And even there you will multiply and be and uh, sprout. And there you'll do tshuva. Right, so right, that, you know, when you go to, into exile, then right, then you know God will eventually return you. So here too, right, Rosh Hashanah, right, and we go into we go into um, the Messianic era, and that's a very beautiful pshat. We point out the ways you can do it, but there's something obviously missing, which is that Hosea never mentions anything about tshuva. Right, we have kibbutz Goliot, that's very beautiful. That's a very clear connection, but if the whole shift is Right, is that I will do this? That the, the reason that things shift between uh, right, the end of Perak Al and the end of Perak Bet is that tshuva happened. It would have been nice if we had some description of tshuva, but there's no notion. There's nothing of of uh, tshuva mentioned in the pasuk. So this is the Rashi's explanation is not a f- enormously successful explanation uh, of this pasuk either. Um, okay, Rashi tries to fit in right. Yisrael is b'nei right? So he has a target, but he fits in shenizru b'nei ktsu. Okay, why is Yisrael symbolized Bnei Golah coming back? Because they were sown and reaped. Like that's very great. But, you know, like reap, the reaping is much more important than the sowing, so not so great. Um, okay, then he tries, okay, Zrati Hali. So what does it mean that I will plant her? So we say in the end, Right, so there's famous Chazal, that the purpose of exile is for the Jews to acquire a convert. Rashi says that's because Zrati Hali means that I will plant them so that I can gather more. So it's a rather ironic way of thinking about conversion as sowing, because conversion is dafka not biological. Um, say it's not descendants. Again, I, d- I don't see this as an enormously successful uh, enormously successful effort. Okay, but the, you know, that's that's what we have. Um, okay. Rav Yosef Kara, uh, this is the medieval French parashan, right? Not Rav Yosef Kara, the author of Shulchan Aruch. So he has it, just point out that you know what? Israel doesn't have to refer just to specific incidents. Shomron who Israel that uh, Shomron is the capital of the ten tribes, and he thinks that's the same as Israel. So there's some ambiguity about that whether they're nearby or not, or the same place. But he thinks that Israel is always a symbol for the ten tribes. Okay, that's a nice point. At least in some places it might help. Um, okay, then he says, you know what? He says, you know what? All these fancy explanations that Ra- the, the Medrash and Rashi give trying to explain the transition from negative to positive, and we're, we're, we're portraying either the prophet's emotions or God's emotions or the sweep of history. No, none of that. What we're talking about is a, li- is a literary habit in Tanakh, which is that Whenever there is really harsh uh, rebuke with you know, a couple of punishments, just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Right. So this is just a feature of Tanakh. It's not lies. It's not giving you a picture. And right, it's expressing that there's always the purpose of tochacha in Tanakh is not to make the listener feel hopeless. 
there's always got to be a right. So the so on the one hand, it's a very, you know it gives you an insight into the whole nature of Tanakh. You have to decide for yourself if that's always true, right? Is it true that there's always a, a shlikel of nechama uh, to some extent that goes back to our conversation about Yirmiya? Um, although there are certainly is nechama in Yirmiya regardless, um, but it sort of saps the meaning. You know, it means if you just look at it and say, "Oh, okay, yeah, it's time for that bit of nechama." There's no, there's nothing literally interesting about the location, um, about the location at all. And he points out that there is a real that if it seems like that part of the theme going on here uh, is that while Shomron is Yisrael, that eventually Yisrael and Beit Yudah get together, and so maybe for him, right, the way we should understand the, the, mov- the movement here is Yisrael initially bege- means Shomron, and at the end, in the Messianic era, because of Rosh Hashad, Yisrael comes to stand for the, 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 right, the nation sown by God, and so it represents both Yisrael and Beit Yudah together. Right, so that's a interesting literary move about the word Yisrael. I think that's probably what emerges from uh, from Yosef Karim. Okay, Ibn Ezra is the um, is the dark figure here. Uh, Ibn Ezra says, Mispar Bnei Yisrael, pasuk lo imignai." I say, I know everyone else thinks this pasuk is positive. Ibn Ezra says. And if you're reading the Haftorah, I think you would agree that's how you should read it. But he says, in terms of what he thinks is really going on, this is negative. Uh, right. So he thinks that the Mispar Bnei Israel is not the should not celebrate right how many how many Jews there are. It's how many bad Jews there are, or how many how many averos right. The Mispar Bnei Israel is the number of the sins committed by the Jews right. So. And he thinks that as opposed to Yamer Lehem Bnei El Chai, meaning that other people or God Himself will tell you you're now Bnei El Chai, he thinks Yomrulat's mom, right? This is all that this this three pasuk thing is not a positive at all. This is all just negative, and it's talking about their the, right the multitude of their sins and their egoism. Right? Chavnezra is uh, right. He says Kigadol, right? So Benesamalehem Roshechad. What does Roshechad mean? Zeus Ancheres, who is going to lead Israel out into exile, right? Right, okay, but there seems to be um, you know, almost a certain amount of glee in jumping up and down on on uh, people's usual interpretation of this as a cheerful section. Um, right, if has a bunch, right, we, we don't have time to do the, the detail work about how you get Gadol Yom Israel, is it Mi Israel, Ki Israel, Yom Israel itself. But Ibezra's key point here is um, is um, is that don't think of this, right? As opposed to Rabbi Yosef Karo who said, you know what? So it doesn't seem to fit in context. So what? The interspersion of of um, of negative and positive in Tanakh has nothing to do with context. It's just every once in a while you need to put, say something sweet. Ibn Ezra says, nope, there's nothing sweet about this. And he says, oh, what about at the end, right? Where it seems like there is positive stuff. Lo Ami says, at the very end, we get to the deep future. And he even says, maybe it's right, right? Maybe it's even, uh, it's just, it's, if they repent, it's not even a prediction. Okay, Ezra's unreserved, unreserved, uh, unreserved darkness. Okay, uh, so we get to Rav Yosef Ibn Kafi. Rav Yosef Ibn Kafi, first of all, comes up with a um, with a great pchat. He says, you know what? Everyone assumes that Yisrael must be talking about the killing of Achav, but that doesn't make any sense because that's right. That that's a uh, that's a positive. So he says. So he quotes the Pesach in Malachim, 
that Yisrael is where Achav did his worst evil. That's where Achav killed Navot Yisraeli uh, because he wanted, by, through false witnesses, on the, by, or accepted Yisrael's killing of Navot Yisraeli in order to get him Navot, Karam uh, Navot. Um, okay, right. So that's his first chapter that connects to that. Um, and meanwhile, Ibn Kasvi says some just utterly astonishing things about uh, Nevuah that I think are worth sharing. Um, well, so first of all, let's just see what he says about Israel. He says, "Dvei Israel, Hatam Dvei Navot Shinherag Bechokata, Bechokato Shia Bechelik Israel, Al Yidei Achav Melot Israel." Right. So that's another. The blood is revenge. Is the blood of Achav. Im Haskamot An Shehair. And he says, not only was Achav complicit, but everyone around him was complicit. And that is was you know, an incredible sin, the worst sin for the king and all of Israel. So when Israel is destroyed, it's not because God is avenging the death of the death of Achav on Yehu. It's God is avenging, even though Yehu killed Achav. At the end of the day, he writes, they, they never did tshuva. The kingdom never did tshuva, even if they had, forget about Azara, the king never did tshuva for royal murder. And that's why everything is, that's why everything is, uh, is destroyed. And the only good thing that Yehud ever did was to kill, was to kill Achav. Uh, he compares it to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, right, who is, right, who is, um, right, you know, has some merit, but he's still a terrible person. Um, okay. He also says, but Ibn Kasi is one of those, um, things where his view of prophecy is radical. He says, this Navi, that, right, he thinks that the, he thinks that if you really un- understand what this Navi is talking about, okay, he says, this is all talking about terrible things happened to the Jews. It's talking about the, uh, the, the destruction of the ten tribes, the exile of the ten tribes. And then, but he says, but there are positive things. What are those positive things? One of them is talking about the success the Jews will have in the time of Hizkiah. And the other is talking about the success that we'll have in Bayit Sheni. But then he says, in the negative stuff, this Hoshea never gets to the details or descriptions the way Yeshaya does. Because Hoshea did not have the kind of focus that Yeshaya had that enabled him to see granularly the future. What he saw was the ten tribes would be destroyed. That Judah would survive for a brief bit. And then he saw afterwards, and he saw that we'd have some kind of success, and some kind of living in the land. And that's what this prophet says. Hoshea didn't have a finer grain view. We have now been through history, right? That's Ibn Kasi's claim. We who have been through history, we can understand what Hoshea was talking about. Hoshea himself didn't really understand what his words referred to. It's a wild, radical idea. Okay, I have one more. Um, he gets that um, that right that uh, Israel has to be has to be a um, has to be a meaningful every time, and so he gets that it has to be a way in which in which Israel changes meaning. Okay, so the first right, so Israel is a symbol, and Israel negative comes from Lizarot to scatter, and Israel positive comes from Lizroa to to sow and scatter. Right, so that's the that I think is the um, Right, that's right. He says here, So everything that happens at the end is exactly opposite what happened in the rebuke. But it keeps the name Israel, and the name Israel becomes a pun. Right, in the same way 
that uh, I think Machlon and Kilion and Megillat Rut are a pun, and uh, right, and they mean they mean entirely different things. In the beginning, they mean disease and devastation, and the end, they in the end they mean uh, hope, and I forget what I translated hope and completion. Okay, uh, I have only one last thing to say, and then we should take questions and comments. Uh, there's there's enormous amounts more to do, but I think that one more thing, which is I want to I want to um, I want to read uh, Rabbi Elzer Bibelgensi, right? So this is uh, right. It's a uh, one of the parshanim that we're finding more and more of, and again, incredible, uh, incredible work by Alatora to uncover the ma- right and to print the manuscripts in such an accessible form of all the uh, of all all of Rishonim. Here's what he says: "Vakatia d'me Yisrael, damim sheshafach b'Yisrael, heim d'me achazio melachuda." So the blood that Yehu spilled in Israel, he doesn't go. He doesn't buy. Um, Ibn claim that it's talking about Navot, but here's what he does. It's the blood of Achazio Melchudav Anashim Harbe Shalohayu Mizera Achav. And many people who were not uh, who were not descendants of Achav, Kilo Hanavil Achav. So he thinks as right, he thinks that uh, as opposed to uh, right so some people say he was right to wipe out Achav and it's but he but it turns retroactively into murder. Because you can't kill people if you're not going to make things better. That's, I think, a very powerful idea. And then Chavrezi uh, Minkowski says, no, it can't mean that at all. It has to mean, it has to mean that um, that it's going back to the innocent blood of Achav. And Rezabil Gensi says, no, what it means is that he killed more people than he had to. Just because he had permission to wipe out Beit Achav doesn't mean he had permission to wipe out anybody else. And what he actually did was he killed Anashim Harbeish Lohayumi Zer Achav. He killed many people who weren't descendants of Achav. So the, the prophet didn't tell him to wipe out anybody but Achav, and so in fact, the May Israel are imposed is imposed on the house of Yehu because they killed innocents. Um, he says other people interpret this differently, and here's what they say: Anybody whom God uses as his rod to chastise others, but that person is not themselves worthy. It's just that the at this hour he has or has power, so eventually you'll get punished. Um, right, so that is right. So there are people who think that God sets up the world this way, that He causes wicked people to be His agents of chastisement, but then He punishes the wicked people for doing it. Right, this is where people have the interpretation like, why does Paro get punished for? Uh, for um, for enslaving the Israel, if God promised they would be enslaved, or the Ramban who talks about how if somebody escaped punishment, then you know for killing accidentally, so then God will arrange right those sorts. That maybe that's the same kind of issue. So th- he says, I know that some people will say, okay, you know what? It's fine for God to punish Yehu for killing Achav, even though God told him to, because that's the way God works. He says, but ain't so. That is not. He thinks that's just not true. You don't find this unless people are over enthusiastic. That God is a little bit angry, and He uses that as an excuse to uh, to let out His yitzhara. So here's an ambiguity: is the reason that they're punished because they do too much, or because by doing too much they reveal that actually their intent was to murder. So that's a very deep theological question, which we talk about every year at Parsha Zachor, about whether uh, whether intent 
is relevant in judging uh, in judging this um, action such as murder, or whether really all that matters uh, fundamentally should be whether it was justified or unjustified in terms objectively in terms of the other party did they right did they need to die or deserve to die or do you want to frame it and whether your intent and your intent really should be irrelevant. Okay, I think that is all that we have um, we have time for, but I will take whatever questions uh, whatever questions you have. Sorry, I ended up talking all the way through it, but it really is helpful to me organizing my thoughts, even if um, even if I didn't stop as much as I might have suggested. Um, okay. I think, yeah, I, I think the most likely explanation, uh, which I think that um, I think it was Rabbi Yosef Kara had is that Israel is deliberately ambivalent. It can have both positive and negative meanings, uh, one of which comes from zara, and one of the, you know, meaning to scatter, and one of them which means zera, which comes to sow. And the negative meanings are probably embedded also in whatever evil it was you think was done to Israel, but that the, the literary structure of what's going on is, th right, is that you can see the reversal by by within the name that the same name can become good right that it's the trans the transformation of God's relationship with Bnei Israel is embodied in the transformation of Israel of of Israel from Yisrael to Yisrael that that's what I think is the most likely shot. I think you have lots of different visions, right? Here's, I think you have the vision which says that it could only happen if there's tshuva in the middle, right? That's what Rashi, that's Rashi's pshat, right? So that you, you know, they say, no, I, in which you can't say Israel is a distorted Israel. You have to say that Israel always has both possibilities in it from the beginning, and, right, and, um, right, and it's just sometime, sometimes Israel is the positive and sometimes the negative, right? Then, but if you, if, you take the if you take the reading that that God always relates to the Jews as good, but it's Hosea who originally thinks God should replace them, and then God teaches Hosea you can't do that. So then you could say that Israel is Hosea's distorted understanding. I guess you could claim that. And if you think it's the, you know, the, what I think is the, the most radical reading, which is that it's God changing his mind, so then you would come with a reading like yours, right? That... God comes to terms with his right, with his wife who committed adultery, uh, the way right, the way it seems that uh, Hosea falls in love with Gomer, leaving aside the trajectory about when Gomer commits commits adultery and things like that. So then I think it end up with 
with that vision, which is much darker, I think, in some ways, is, is more cheerful in the sense that it sounds like uh, God won't swap us out no matter what we do, but it's darker in that you know we never we never we're never deserving. Uh, I think then right. I think if you take that position, then you would have to read it that way that Israel means it's you know that we never get to be the Israel we're supposed to be, but God comes to live with us. I think well, I think the I think that is a, a good description of what is at stake among the various commentators, uh, uh, various commentators' impressions. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yes, so I think that's I think that is correct in that it's not just a sound uh, it's not just a um it's not just a sound pun, but that you know I don't I don't think you have to be rehearsed to right to say you know a two letter root to think that these are connected. And in a sense, you could use that as a response to Seth's point and say, no, it's not. It wasn't a distortion because really, it's always the same thing. I think, right? I think that's very plausible. Uh, it's also possible that there are other shorashim that people are connected here that I'm not. Uh, you know, we didn't talk about Zara, for example, at all, right? Meaning, you know, meaning uh, alien, uh, right? So I could have, but uh, yeah, if I really wanted to strongly respond to Seth's point, I could say that since that that really Zion Reish Hey, in terms of Yisrael. Is the is the thing that's off because the right it has an ayin, right? So really, w you could say no. Really, the truth is Yisrael is Yisrael, and the and the distortion was Yisrael. Um, I think that's I think that's I think that's correct. But I don't. I, but I think it's it has to be clear that the the naming of Yisrael has to be understood as negative when it's first given. Right. I don't think you can say that when that when the Israel is born. Everybody says, "Oh, good, Israel." That doesn't make any sense in context, because it's right before Fakati, Fakati Deme Israel, and Vishavarti Akeshet, Akeshet Bnei Israel, the Amis Israel. So I don't. So I think you have to at least have the Havamina. That is negative. Okay, thank you very.